Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Battier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I'm here today with Paul Rodden, host of the Hydrogen Podcast. Everyone loves talking about hydrogen, and like geothermal, many folks are thinking about how this energy source will contribute to the energy transition. Instead of me postulating and, and making up my fun, wild theories, I think we should talk to somebody who's been really looking at the hydrogen space, that being Paul. So Paul, thank you for joining me today on the show. If you would please share with me and the audience your background. Well, thanks, Joe. Thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it. Um, just on my background a little bit, it's it's a bit different than what you might expect someone in the hydrogen industry to showcase in, in their background. Historically, I'm uh, in geography. I'm a GIS guy. So I started off in GIS about 20 years ago doing work for uh, civil engineering firms, then moved on to uh, local governments and started managing departments there. And then around 2006, I changed course and went into oil and gas and went uh, up and through uh, management and oil and gas and GIS. And then I changed course again a little bit and got an MBA and moved into uh, investment banking and went through that for a couple of years, really drank from the fire hose in investment banking about you know all aspects, oil and gas and, uh, and the economics surrounding uh, that, that industry. Um, after doing the investment banking, I went into data services and in, in the data services is where I really started diving into hydrogen. Um, I had always had an interest in hydrogen ever since learning about, uh, fuel cells in the late nineties and in the data services, the company that I was with was, uh, doing midstream and downstream, uh, project databases, uh, worldwide. <clears throat> and so I would uh, update those databases, sell them, market them through uh, to uh, various uh, entities. But, you know, 2020 hits and everyone starts pulling back on their subscriptions. And so I'm scrambling, trying to think of some some new type of data set that I can uh, I could offer. And the two things that came to mind, the first one was hydrogen. And so I start doing some research on it. And there's just nothing out in the internet ether of, of what a hydrogen data set is or, or could be. And so I find a, a renewables data set that uh, my, my team updates and we start selling it and marketing it to Exxon. And Exxon says, you know, this is, this is great, but 
you don't have a hydrogen data set, do you? And I said, well, you know, I would really love to have one to show you, but I've, I've looked around to make one and I can't find one anywhere. And so she says, well, let me put you in touch with the guy who's kind of heading up our hydrogen group. And I said, that would be great. So the next day I'm talking to Exxon's head of hydrogen and, you know, the, the person to talk to couldn't be much more perfect than, than this person. And he says, you know, they're using an IEA data set that they're not really that fond of and would like to see uh, a lot of growth to it. And so he and I just sat down over the course of this meeting and, and laid out what a, a good hydrogen data set should look like. And so from there on out, I spent for the better part of 2020, about 10 months, diving about 60 hours a week plus into the hydrogen industry. What projects were out there? You know, what, what are the economics surrounding these projects? Who, what, what are the companies developing these projects? What is the validity? Learning about the colors, learning about the different technologies, what's uh, applicable to the hydrogen space and what isn't. What's a pilot project, a demonstration project in the field, where, where they're getting set up and where they're moving to. And so November hits, October, November hit, and I go back to Exxon with the data set and they love it. It's a great data set. And so we market it to Exxon and Chevron and uh, several other companies that they like the data and they, they pick it up. And so it's, it's, it's becomes the first uh, commercially viable hydrogen data set in the world. And now there are several more uh, today, but at the time it was, it was the only one available. And 2020 being what it was, the department uh, got dissolved effectively. And so I'm just looking around, trying to find my next uh, spot. And a very close friend of mine says, you know, you really know this hydrogen industry. You should do a, a podcast. People need to know about this. And I said, you know, that would be great, but I don't know the first thing about doing a podcast. And he says, no, I'll, I'll walk you through all the steps. And I said, no, you're not going to walk me through anything. You're going to be my partner in this. And so <laughs> he and I got together. We outlined what a good podcast is. He showed me all the ropes and what to say, what not to say, and, and how to talk. And he's still teaching me every day about how to uh, just have more energy and everything else in the podcast space. Um, but no, we started it up a little over a year ago, and apparently it's information that people are really wanting to hear uh, before too long. About mm -hmm. less, I think less than six months into it, we became the number one hydrogen podcast in the world, and we've, wow. we've maintained that today. Uh, and I think we're, I think over the last quarter, we've doubled uh, our viewership. And you know, hopefully we can keep that, that kind of growth growing. We'll, we'll see what happens. But you know, start to finish, it's just kind of this grassroots thing that started up and has really, really taken off. Wow, that is, that is a fun story. And I think it is not only a relevant story to, to hydrogen and to the hydrogen market that we're going to be talking about, but also in the context of the idea of energy transition and how how you how you've basically you figured out how to how to help your business at that time who you were working for how to how to offer clean energy products that not only made them relevant but put them on the forefront of of the energy transition space yeah. specifically there for hydrogen it so 
would you consider yourself a hydrogen expert? You know, that's, that really is a good question. And first and foremost, I consider myself an advocate for the hydrogen mm -hmm. industry. And you know, through the Hydrogen Podcast, I try to find ways to highlight the economics of the industry to help people understand that, that hydrogen is a massive opportunity that is taking place right now. Now, I, I do have extensive experience in the energy industry, and I've devoted a lot of my time to hydrogen. So I feel like I do have a strong pulse on the industry and how the landscape is shaping up. So, you know, I don't know if I would label myself as the ultimate quote unquote expert, but I do consult with the oil and gas industry on hydrogen opportunities. I help, I have helped put some major deals together and I'm, I'm fully invested in the future of hydrogen as kind of that, that energy transition source. Yeah, that's, that's really I like the way that you put that. There are a few words that jumped out to me. The first one being advocate. Yeah. And I feel like I'm a geothermal advocate where the number one goal is sharing knowledge. Right. And and just spreading awareness. And and you do a great job of that knowing you know enough about hydrogen where you you are you're able to be humble and say that's something I don't know, but I can tell you who does. And in fact, here's a episode number XYZ is the perfect one for you to listen to. And and then the other aspect of of you're in the energy industry and hydrogen being an energy source. Right. It it gives you the you have an expertise just like I would say my expertise is thermal energy in the ground. I can talk about some of the other energies, but that doesn't mean I know, I don't know, really, I don't know much about hydrogen, which is why you're on the podcast today. <laughs> so, so you get to play the hydrogen expert, even if you don't consider yourself the expert, you are the one with the expertise here. Yeah. So, so with that, let's start at a, at a high level. Sure. What, what is hydrogen? Why are we talking about it right now? And I guess, what would it be replacing? And I guess in a, in a roundabout way, I'm asking, what is this hydrogen market that everybody is all abuzz about? Yeah, and it, that's a good question too. And I think it's, it, it's stated so simply and succinctly, but it's a very deep-seated question. Um, you know, so what is hydrogen? Start, start there. Well, hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe. Uh, it's the smallest element in the universe. It makes a great fuel when it can be utilized properly. Uh, but so if, if we're talking about the market space, tra transportation fuel is one of those segments, but it's not the only segment. Uh, that being said, I don't really see it as replacing these fuels, but more utilizing the historic fuel, in this case, hydrocarbons, and refining them more uh, uh, environmentally friendly, right? So, and we'll, we can get into this a little bit later of the different kinds of hydrogen and the ways to make it. But if we're just looking at it as a, as a transportation fuel, 
and we compare it to say a gasoline engine or a diesel engine or, or a jet engine, um, it, it burns cleaner if you're, if you're burning it, if you're using it through a fuel cell, it's so much cleaner, you know, it's, it's, it's zero emission with, uh, in, in this term, if you're using a, uh, a fuel cell, you just have water vapor as, as the, uh, byproduct. So it's, it's so much cleaner, but again, you're not really replacing it. If we're looking in terms of utilizing the hydrocarbon for its feedstock source, you're just separating out the hydrogen and the carbon. And, you know, that, that does get into certain, uh, questions about what to do with the carbon. And when we can talk about some of the colors later, you can go in to see, uh, just how these different technologies deal with that carbon. But as far as replacing the fuels, it's not necessarily replacing the fuels. It's just using them in new methods. And so to go into kind of the second question, what is the hydrogen market today and, and maybe even in, in the future? Cur currently, the hydrogen market revolves around ammonia and in the oil and gas industry. So ammonia is a mixture of hydrogen and nitrogen, and it's used as a feedstock for fertilizers. The second is to use oil and oil or is to, is to use it in oil and gas to crack the natural gas into the various gases we use, right? So propane, ethane, etc. Now, the interesting thing about the ammonia angle is this. There, there's already an infrastructure in place. Um, that's that's one. Two, the transportation of hydrogen can be difficult. You know, as I said, it's it's the smallest element and it loves bonding to everything. So putting it in high quantities in pipelines and standard tanks, it eats through all of that very easily. So when you have it in an ammonia form, it's much more stable. Its boiling point is much higher, right? So you don't have to cool it as much to get into a liquefied state. Um, there is shipping and transport that with ammonia makes it so much easier. You have pipelines, you know, you have a massive pipeline infrastructure and there are several countries throughout the world who are looking to ship what they're calling green ammonia, uh, which is, you know, ammonia made with green sourced, uh, hydrogen, uh, just because it's so much easier to transport and, Really, it's it's also very easy to break apart again the, the the hydrogen and the nitrogen. So that's that's kind of the market right now. It's used also in in a smaller amount in fuel cells currently, like uh, in industries and forklifts and and things like that. Um, and as you know, it really month to month, new announcements are coming out on uh, fuel cell use in in shipping. And other transports, even uh, you know, heavy trucking is is probably the the biggest one that you'll see on the news. The the big big guys like Volvo and Daimler Truck keep uh, throwing out announcements, and there are a lot of smaller operators too, like uh, Hyzon, that uh, just announcement after announcement of of massive orders. And then there are some other uses uh, like uh, buses uh, in in Europe. There are a lot of uh, hydrogen buses in and out Europe for public transport. And, and that infrastructure is getting built out too. So that's really the current and near future hydrogen market. And that's what uh, the bulk use of it is is for today. There, that's, I didn't realize that ammonia was kind of the, what it sounds like is, is the bulk of how hydrogen is used today is making those ammonia products to 
to use as a fertilizer being one of the one of the largest products we have right the the interesting thing that i just thought about and i think we should talk about this next but the the idea of using using hydrocarbons to get out the hydrogen right like that's a that's a pretty clear explanation but the way that you phrased it of saying it's not it's not part of we're not replacing fuels we're using them in a different way right and the idea of of distilling hydrocarbons and going through a cracking cracking column and pulling out gasoline and diesel really the the difference here that we could be talking about is instead of breaking out those components what we're really doing is we're separating the carbon and the hydrogen and we're just using the hydrogen right so right. It, now and I, we may go into this a little bit later too but uh and I, and I can go into this when we start talking about some of the colors is uh yeah so you have the hydrogen and you have the carbon and what do you do with the carbon and um there there are different technologies and different techniques that you know you can capture it you can sequester it you can make solid carbon out of it and that's that's a really really amazing opportunity in the future is is having a solid carbon because there is a market for solid carbon or carbon black mm. um and it de depends on the the purity of that carbon and we can talk about that more a little bit later or now if you'd like either one but uh, really i see the, the hydrogen market it, it's as it exists the carbon component of it is just as important both on the co2 and emissions side but also as uh, as having has it, it having its own sustainable market. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I I've not even thought about the the carbon market in terms of black carbon, a really a, a pure feedstock for for whatever processes that that feel like you've thrown a curveball at me because I've I don't even think about that <laughs> right it's it's something that well you know a lot of people think about the the co2 emissions there are a lot of regulations around it and if you do get into uh, carbon capture and sequestration there's a you know big government subsidies there's a 45q tax credit that is getting bigger and bigger uh, as time goes on um, so there there are a lot of carbon tax benefits to uh to take into consideration uh so yeah the, the carbon market the carbon industry itself is going to be uh heavily targeted uh with with what the hydrogen industry does with the carbon itself yeah i that's really interesting and i i do want to talk about it but i think maybe that should be saved for another show i like it right now let's let's uh you've brought up the colors a yeah. lot let's talk about the colors of hydrogen what is that sure so uh this was kind of my, the first thing that i i dove into whenever i really got into hydrogen are, are these colors um and i think it's i think implementing a color scheme it's is a good first step to help people understand the different ways to produce hydrogen if I had to list the colors that I think your audience would be most interested in, I would say that the two main uh, colors are green and blue. Now to kind of start breaking those out, 
Green is hydrogen that's uh, made from renewable uh, electricity, right? So your wind farms, your solar farms, geothermal, wave, whatever it is, whatever that renewable uh, electricity is, and then using that to electrolyze water. Uh, so you're going to put it through some kind of electrolysis system um, to break out the the hydrogen and the oxygen molecules. Uh, that you know by doing that, it is you know carbon neutral, carbon negative, very clean. the The downside to it is that it is very expensive because it does take a lot of electricity to do that. And right now, with the cost of everything, it, it's green hydrogen is roughly four to six times more expensive than blue. Now, the cost of, of that is decreasing by the day, really, uh, whether you're either taking into account government subsidies or new technologies being developed, both on the hardware and the software side. Uh, those costs are dropping. So that's, that's green. Blue is uh, it's it's the next uh, evolutionary step in the legacy hydrogen industry. So blue is uh, basically it's it's either autothermal uh, reforming or steam methane reforming, where you take a hydrocarbon and you put it through intense heat and steam, and it separates the hydrogen from the carbon. Uh, and I'll, I'll get into it a little bit later what. Uh, what it used to be, but now with blue, you have that hydrogen sourced. And now what you do is once that hydrogen breaks off from the carbon, the carbon gets bonded to oxygen. And uh, that CO2 with blue is captured. So it's carbon captured. And then it's either utilized or sequestered. So CCUS or sequestered CCS. And then that CO2 is either reinjected into the ground, into a, a salt dome, or uh, utilized in some manner that it doesn't uh, escape into the atmosphere, right? So that's, that's okay. CCUS, yeah. that's blue. And right now, the cost on that is also coming down through different technologies uh, uh, that, are, that are coming onto the market. So those are the two big ones right now that everyone talks about. But there are also a lot of other colors in that hydrogen spectrum. Uh, the first one that I really like to talk about is turquoise. Now, turquoise hydrogen, it's uh, methane pyrolysis. And that's where you take, uh, there, there's some, some different uh, technology around it, but usually it's, it's some kind of plasma. And you push the hydrocarbon through that plasma, and that's where you get your hydrogen and your solid carbon. Uh, there's, there's no CO2 to mess with you get that solid carbon as a, as a direct uh, byproduct. And, huh. and, you know, initially, historically, there were and still are companies, uh, Monolith being the biggest one, that did this process. And they just got rid of the hydrogen because the, the, the black <laughs> carbon or the carbon black uh, was, their, was their primary source. And now they have wow. this new source of hydrogen that they can uh, market. And the thing is, they, Monolith in particular... They use renewable natural gas as, as their feedstock, and they use renewable energy to run the plant and to uh, power the plasma. So they are, in fact, carbon negative because of all that. 
Um, and it's, they, they just, uh, well, I'd say they did just, they're, they're in the process of getting a 1.2, 1.8, something like that billion dollar grant from the federal government. So this, this wow. is a massive, massive facility, a massive project. And I love what they're doing. Um, another fun one is white or, or gold. It's, it's called the either, either one, depending on who you talk to in the industry. And that's where you just drill for hydrogen. Like, like you're drilling, drilling for uh, oil and gas, you drill for hydrogen. Yep. And this is, this is actually a pretty new discovery. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Before it was thought that hydrogen just did not exist uh, in nature by yeah, itself. Yep. And I was doing a podcast once and I talked about this, this new thing that this company is doing. They're calling it gold hydrogen. They're drilling for it in Spain. Um, and I, I have a, a, a group that I've talked with before up in, in Dallas, Netherlands Sewell. They're an engineering company. And they, they came to me and they said, that's not possible. I said, guys, I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm, I'm not a physicist. I'm not a chemist. I'm not one of these, these people that know these <laughs> things. I'm just reading you know, what I have. And I'm not kidding you. A week later, they come back and they forwarded me the emails that were going on behind the scenes at their company after I met with them. And wow. it was the CEO saying, reanalyze these wells for hydrogen. And huh. the results came back with huge hydrogen deposits. And then, you know, he said, we never looked at it before. One, because it wasn't, you know, no one cared about hydrogen. Two, we just didn't think it would be there. And so yep. now this is becoming a more and more viable solution is, yeah. is drilling for hydrogen. As a matter of fact, um, you know, we're going through NAEP right now in, in Houston. And I was at a, at, a, at a networking event a couple of nights ago. And someone came up to me that they're doing this uh, in South America. And was mm-hmm. was talking to me about my thoughts on it. I thought it was amazing. It's just it's really just shaping up everywhere. Uh, another fun one to talk about is clear hydrogen. Now this is from uh, Proton up in in Canada that they've coined that term. But this is where you take these these old uh, vertical wells that really they're just not producing anymore, and they're and uh, they're shut in or about to be plugged in a band, and you can take these over. And uh, through a process called in situ combustion, uh, inject gas into the well itself, and because of the heat and pressure at the at you know uh, where where the uh, hydrocarbon used to be, it makes hydrogen. And then they have uh, uh, a filter on the wellhead that will allow the hydrogen to escape out. And the, hmm. the neat thing about this particular process in this company is that uh, to do this, they have to have an air separator at the site, right? And so they can inject the oxygen down into the well and let the hydrogen escape up. Well, you know, what do they have with an air separator at the source or at the, you know, at, at the surface level? They have nitrogen. So hmm. at the source, they can now all of a sudden just make ammonia and ship it easier than they would have if they're just extracting out the hydrogen. And uh, another nice little uh, byproduct of this is they can also take these wells and they can put uh, the CO2 down the wells also for sequestration. And what's uh, a nice little byproduct about that is uh, the carbon that they're putting into the ground uh, makes calcium carbonate. So it it doesn't just stay down there as gas. It actually turns into a solid. So Mm -hmm. it's a a very good, clean way of, of getting rid of CO2. 
then there are a couple of others. It's, it's, it, you don't really see them that much anymore. Uh, one is yellow or pink, depending on where you're from. And that's uh, basically the exact same thing as green, except you're using uh, nuclear energy to, to make okay. the hydrogen. Um, and then the last one is brown and gray. Those are, those are the legacy ways of making hydrogen. Brown is made from coal. And gray is the hydrocarbon, but with the CO2 just released. Um, okay. Now, I, I do think there is an important conversation to have when labeling hydrogen. Now, there's a school of thought that I'm helping to promote on the podcast and anytime I'm, I'm, I'm talking to anyone about it, because I believe in the validity uh, of that it, it talks about the carbon intensity. And it's, it's important to really promote the carbon intensity of these projects of the varying technologies and those numbers being the key metric. Um, and mm -hmm. the, the U.S. and their hydrocarbon Earthshot program, uh, the state of New Mexico in, in their hydrogen uh, plan focuses on, on the carbon intensity. So it doesn't really talk about the, the colors so much as if the technology has low carbon intensity figures then it gets promoted. It gets moved forward. So it doesn't really matter. Okay. And so if yep. people or companies want to truly understand their, their numbers, it isn't about blue versus green, which is kind of what you hear about in the, the public debate. It's about mm -hmm. that carbon intensity number and what that signifies. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that makes complete sense. And it is a, it should be a natural progression because it going from, a a color scale which is qualitative in nature yeah. to the carbon intensity scale which is which is hard numbers quantitative mm -hmm. that can that can give you that ranking and i i think that's a on that same idea that is something that that we talk about in in geothermal and in in the really renewable energy space as a whole is that we're we're trying to look for the carbon intensity and how to reduce that. Right. And talking about wind versus solar versus geothermal, like they're all renewable energy, but they they are different and they are yeah. they have different life cycles. And that life cycle and the really the the holistic picture is what we should be looking at. No, I, I agree. You know, I, once, once the full carbon life cycle gets, to an, gets analyzed across the energy spectrum, I think everyone uh, inside and outside of energy will have a much better understanding about what clean energy really is. And, uh, you know, where does, where does natural gas fit into that? Where does hydrogen fit into that? What are the different technologies involved with hydrogen? Where do they fit into that? And what do renewables look like? once that full carbon yeah. life cycle number is announced. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I want to go back to the turquoise hydrogen. Yeah. So the, so you're saying the, and is this the way you explain turquoise hydrogen is that it is using renewable natural gas mm -hmm. and renewable energy to produce the hydrogen. Right. Is that, that obviously would have the best carbon intensity mm -hmm. is that I guess I would almost say that that is, that is really the golden hydrogen or that, that golden goose we're looking for yeah. something that is actually 
removing or having a, that negative carbon impact. Right. And I, I like turquoise. Now, it does have its drawbacks. Uh, if, for instance, the startup cost. It's very expensive to start up um, the turquoise hydrogen, and it's a very large facility. Mm. Um, but that being said, it's so clean. And, you know, the thing is that I, I was talking about is you know, the, the, the carbon byproducts from it being, having their own uh, market. You, they get mm-hmm. very, very clean, refined carbon that they're able to sell either through, you know, you can use the solid carbon as uh, through black inks or any kind of pigment for like plastics and cars, things like that, or tires. But I mean, it, as it gets more refined, you can use it in graphene sheets. And, you know, which are, I think, a, a few hundred dollars per gram, something like that. And then as it gets wow. more to its most most refined state, you can use it in, in uh, uh, carbon nanotubes, which I think are several thousand okay. dollars a gram. So wow. there, it, there's, it's a big market. There are a lot of good economics around it. Um, but it, you know, we just need to start developing the infrastructure. And I think Monolith is well, well ahead of of just about anyone else that I can think of in that game. And so this is a little, a little peripheral to that, but when you create that carbon black from that process, is that, is that in any way counted against you in terms of say, if there's a, if there was a carbon tax, Mm -hmm. would you be taxed on that or with credits? Are you being given a credit for, for not having that go to the atmosphere? That I don't know. And it's a great question too, because it's something to look into since you know you're you're not emitting CO2. You're you're directly mm-hmm. taking CO2 out of the equation to where you just yep. have uh the two uh uh products the to, two to products. offer to market. Yeah. So as far as any kind of carbon tax credits that you could get from that, I'm not sure. I think that's a really good question. I'd have to look into it. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to find a a carbon a carbon expert to talk about the uh, the solid carbon market. Yeah, it, it and that's it's a fascinating market. I'd love to see it grow. Yeah, it it sounds fascinating. Of course, you know I'm a I'm a car guy at heart, and so anytime mm. I see you know carbon fiber tubs and shells and mm. all that stuff, I just I start. Now I'm now I'm putting my my two favorite things together: hydrogen and, yeah. and cars. Of course, that's something separate yeah. too, right? Hydrogen cars. Yeah, yeah. What is so? You've been doing the the hydrogen podcast for about a a year now, right? Yeah. What is the coolest hydrogen tech that you've seen, or the? I guess the coolest part for you about the hydrogen economy market, et cetera. There, I mean, there are, there really have been a lot of cool things, and Monolith is is to me one of the coolest that I've that I've noticed. In some of the interviews that I've done, though, one that that stands out is uh, Infinity Fuels. It's it's a company that they've actually been around for a long time uh, in in the hydrogen space. Uh, the, the CEO just is an absolute wealth of knowledge. Uh, when it comes to hydrogen and i mean the thing is they they've been doing historic projects for nasa and the us navy for decades 
so they they just know everything there is to know about it. And I mean, a lot of the stuff they just couldn't even talk about because, you know, they're still under military mm. contract. They couldn't even discuss wow. it. And, you know, just being able to talk to them, hearing about a lot of the cool projects that they've done for the Marines, uh, for submarine, you know, using using fuel cells in submarines. You know, one of the things about fuel cells is you have to have oxygen. And they figured out a way to mm-hmm. you don't have to have oxygen. Um, and so listening to that was really cool. Uh, one of the the uh, later companies that I've I've talked to recently is is Syzygy Plasmonics, and they've taken so in blue I, I mentioned the steam methane reforming. They've figured out a way to use photocatalysis to to, to do the same thing without combustion. So usually you have to have some kind of combustion and steam methane reforming to to make your hydrogen and uh, uh, and you know split off the hydrogen from the carbon. And they figured out a way to instead of doing it, they use it with they, they use light. They in wow. in their in their reactor they have uh, the steam methane reform, but they use uh, LED lights to to separate it. And it's it's a it's amazing. I, I toured their their factory and it just blew me away about the hmm. work that they're doing there. Um, and you know it's it's extremely uh, l- you know lower energy intensive. Uh, and their price point is some of the lowest that I've seen in the hydrogen spectrum, bar none. It's extremely uh, low cost compared to a lot of the other solutions that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one of the nice things, r- really cool things, is w- one of the, the side markets uh, when you're talking about hydrocarbon-derived hydrogen is that you, you, you can, in some of these, have the CO2 left over, right? Well, with mm-hmm. that, and uh, Syzygy is one of the companies that's, that's doing this, as well as uh, another company called Raven, who, which I, I really, really like Raven also. Um, they take that, they can take that CO2 and make, <coughs> excuse me, syngas. Do you, have you heard what syngas is? Uh, synthetic gas. Yeah, so yeah. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's synthetic gas. So you can, they're more energy dense. And they burn cleaner than traditional fuels. Wow. And you, you start thinking about it. Why aren't why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we investing in this? You, we, we can we can leverage literally everything about our oil and gas industry and make something that's a hundred percent clean, and then again something that's m- marketably cleaner just by burning yeah. these sin fuels. Yeah. Uh, you know, and all of this is really surrounding that energy transition that that hydrogen is a part of. And, yeah. and learning about all of this has been really the, some of the things that gets me out of bed, really excited about learning more about the hydrogen industry and where it's going the next five to 50 years. Yeah, that is, that's really cool. And, and the thing that really jumps out to me is the idea of producing fuels that we can use in, in our current infrastructure, in our cars, in our transportation in our in our aviation and diesel long haul trucking yeah all of that exists and as as you said it's more energy dense and cleaner so it's it it almost takes away a lot of the it takes away a lot of those those challenges or the the what's the word i'm looking for a lot of the naysayers and what yeah. they always come back to about, oh, well, 
You have to create a whole new infrastructure. You need right. to create new cars. It's going to take you five hours to fill up a full, <laughs> full hydrogen tank. And now it's like, well, no, you can, you can have the hydrogen for its purpose, but you can also make your Syngas, your Syn Diesel, and not even have to worry about having a new car or having a yeah. new engine. And, you know, as, as we talk about this as being an energy transition, you know, I don't, I don't see this as, as the flip of a switch. I view it as, as an actual transition, make it cleaner, you know, don't make, uh, uh, perfect, the enemy of good start, just start decarbonizing where you can. And as we Mm -hmm. make that grow, as we can, can start moving that forward, we will continue to decarbonize. We can continue to make things cleaner. You know, the, like you said, uh, hydrogen fuel cell cars. Um, I, I personally have my own viewpoints on uh, electric vehicles. I think fuel cell electric vehicles make a lot more sense than batteries. Um, we can get into that some other time. But, you know, it's, it, a fuel cell car takes the same amount of time to fill up. Uh, the range is, is theorized to be up to 1,000 miles. I think the one of the latest mm. tests... On the Toyota Mirai, they, it got a thousand miles out of a tank. It's it's wow. it's so much. There's so much uh, potential there. higher on the potential in the in the future of it. I, I yeah. love talking about it. Yeah, yeah. So with that idea, what is the size of the hydrogen market? I guess with with all of this, all of this stuff, how much hydrogen is being produced, and what kind of for hydrogen to really become part of the energy mix, how big does that have to be? Yeah, and that's that is a really good question too. The I mean, the current hydrogen market right now in the U.S. it's hovering about 130 to 140 billion, and it's got an expected compound annual growth rate of 9.2 percent. So you're thinking 2025 around 200 billion, and then around 220 billion by 2030. So it's 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 right now it's a big market and. 9.2% uh, CAGR is, is a big growth rate too. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it, it will be getting bigger. And, you know, people are theorizing numbers of 11 trillion, 2 trillion, 5 trillion by 2050. There's no real way to, to, to guess where that's going to be. Um, and you start saying about, well, what is it going to be replacing? Well, it's, I mean, it's going to be replacing a lot of things and it's, it's hard to say what it what it can overtake and what it won't overtake. Now, like I said, mm-hmm. it's it's a really deep question. And if we're talking about supplanting oil and gas as a whole, I don't think that's going to happen this century. Um, you know, there there are certainly uses for it in again hydrogen, making it from uh, yep. a hydrocarbon source, but also plastics and polymers, things like yep. that that will will still be needed going on. Um, but there are ways to utilize hydrogen as the feedstock for things that we've talked about, like with ammonia. And we've talked about the carbon markets, syn gas, syn fuels, uh, and Fisher Tropes fuels. Um, so, you know, if we talk about how do we really grow this market, there was an article that came out uh, not too long ago, last week, two weeks ago, something like that, on, uh, from Daimler, Daimler Truck, you know, the, the Mercedes company. Um, they've partnered with Nextera and I think it was at BlackRock, uh, uh, someone else, a, a, a financial firm 
to build out the infrastructure in the U.S. They're just going to build it out. Um, there, it's it's uh, West Coast, East Coast, and Texas where there are uh, three points that they've called out. So they're just going to come in and build it. And that's, that's really what it takes. Now, to talk about an infrastructure, it really is a mind shift from uh, historical oil and gas to hydrogen. Because a lot of these new uh, hydrogen uh, generating companies like Raven, like Syzygy, their units are very small. Um, and you know, uh, one of the things that I didn't even mention before is a, a, pr a process called waste to hydrogen. I think you'd really like that too, mm -hmm. where uh, you can, you know, there's a waste to energy, but there's also a waste to hydrogen yep. where you can take just that solid trash, just trash, use diapers, food, waste, tires, yep. whatever it is. And you can make hydrogen out of that um, with your byproduct being ash and, or, or again, carbon black. Um so, so uh, the way to think about that in, in terms of an infrastructure is you don't necessarily have to transport hydrogen from, from its, its creation site, right? The, the, the source, you don't have to take it from there to its utilization site. You don't necessarily have to do that. You can still utilize the existing infrastructure, right? The, the, the existing pipeline infrastructure and just put a unit uh, you know, some kind of modular hydrogen unit at the utilization site. So it takes kind of a paradigm shift to think about the infrastructure. Now, yes, you still have to put in filling stations that hydrogen has to be compressed to 10,000 PSI. Um, but it's, it's not as complex as, okay, we have to tear out all of our pipelines and replace them with hydrogen certified pipelines before this can become a thing. That doesn't have to be the case. And I, you know, that, that's one of the things that um, it, it, it can be hard to get across to a lot of these people who think mm -hmm. you know, we have to completely tear out and rebuild on the infrastructure yeah. when that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, and that's really interesting. Speaking of how we can reuse our, our cars, yeah. now we're we're talking about being able to being able to reutilize all of the infrastructure that's already in place, right? And I, I like the idea of taking trash and turning it into a something that that is valuable. Right. Yeah. And it it actually it it's it sounds conceptually it sounds very um, promising is not the right word, but it sounds better than something like renewable natural gas from landfills because yeah. it, you're skipping the the landfill process. Well, and what a lot of people I don't think realize is that renewable natural gas coming out of the landfill only has about a 15 year lifespan. It, mm -hmm. it dies off pretty quick. So by utilizing that, the source of that renewable natural gas, just the trash itself, uh, one, you are obviously cleaning up the world by getting rid of this trash. And a, a lot of these solid waste landfills are at capacity. So they they can't take anymore, and they have to pay the government, you know, uh, the the fees that they have to maintain these uh, solid waste facilities, and there are thousands of them throughout the U.S. And so, just to be able to come in and say, now we can take this trash, uh, and and lower some of your burden as a landfill, 
and we're going to make clean energy for the world to use. And that's, that's, that's a win times three. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that is, can be so valuable and how it has such great potential. And it, it sounds like there's a, all of these different movements or I guess there's a lot of different technologies that are, that are being developed and that have this, have this great potential to, to continue to drop the price of hydrogen production yeah. while also making it more widespread. So with all of that in mind, how do we grow market share for hydrogen? Is that going to be a natural process that's just going to happen? Or are there specific things you see that need to take place? I, I think it's going to start with getting hydrogen in more places than it currently is. You know, if we just talk about transportation right now, the only place to buy hydrogen cars is California. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on what the, this uh, Daimler project does as far as building out infrastructure, uh, that's that's certainly uh, one way to really build out market share for hydrogen. Um Another way is uh, what we've kind of talked about with these little modular units, popping up hydrogen uh, uh, little hu- hydrogen hubs throughout yep. the U.S. Um, and, you know, start putting hydrogen in where it's most useful. And I think right now the most useful places for hydrogen is uh, you know heavy industry, you know cement manufacturing, uh, steel manufacturing, aluminum, glass. Believe it or not, liquor is is a big hmm. uh uh industrial heat in, user industrial heat user most people don't know that and <laughs> um start introducing hydrogen to these places get them to decarbonize that will start certainly a demand for hydrogen more than it it's it uh, is now and yeah. then uh with those hydrogen hubs people can now start filling up their cars at these hubs and um building out market and that's that's really more of a grassroots build out than than what we talked about with replacing pipelines. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And it it makes me think if there's there's this one gas station that I was going to back when I had a diesel truck called the Green Spot and it was the only place in in Dallas that I could go and buy buy uh biodiesel. Oh really? And and it was the only place. Otherwise, I had to drive. I had to drive. Uh, I think it was about a forty-five minute drive to go to a different gas station, or oh. I had to go to one of Willie Nelson's truck stops, where it's <laughs> a twenty percent blend that right. isn't. It's something, but it it was. It is. It is something. Yeah, and it's like to me that is that's what it takes. It's going to be one gas station in Dallas. And then one gas station in Fort Worth that that has one of these modular units, and eventually in five years it could be you could have multiple places where you could go, and eventually you could drive across the country using. Right. You would have to map your route based on gas stations, but but and, that's you know that's that's really the nice thing about thing about hydrogen in terms of of fuel cell vehicles. Is yeah, once but once there is an infrastructure built out, you don't have to wait 30 minutes to refill your car, you know, go mm-hmm. from zero to 80 percent in one of those fast charging yep. stations for Tesla, it still takes 30 minutes. You, yep. know, you can you can fill up four cars back to back for hydrogen and 20. 
So it's, it is extremely quick to refill these things up. And yeah, that's probably one of the the biggest way to, to increase market share for hydrogen is, is utilization in industry and then, uh, fuel cells, you know, and it's, it's also very easy to, to use fuel cells in, uh, other types of shipping, right? So either, uh, transatlantic shipping or aviation, you can't use batteries for either of those. So hydrogen becomes really the only source of uh, fuel outside of traditional uh, diesel or jet fuel that can be uh, used in those uh, uh, applications. Huh. Yeah, that's another another great example of how it it can be it can be that that really one of the only ways to decarbonize a specific sector. Yeah. So we've been talking for a while. Let's shift gears a little bit. I've got a few final questions that are a little bit more fun. We've been talking about hydrogen for a while. I'm guessing this first question will also bring up hydrogen. (laughs) What is, what's the most important book you've ever read? Uh, Well, I would say one of the most important that I'm reading right now is The Innovator's Dilemma. Have you heard of that? I have. It has been recommended multiple times. Yeah, I was I was talking with the Green Party of Ireland last week and they recommended I read it, so I picked it up. And it it really gives an interesting look into uh legacy industry versus startups in transitions. And it's not just um energy transitions, but how uh you know more often than not these legacy uh players fail to make the transition mm-hmm. just because they are so ingrained in the, in, into the historic, uh, into their workflows, in, into and their, their workflows and everything else. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in, in this energy transition. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it, this is a, it's a really a, a good book, a good read to, to check out. All right. I told the last guest that I would read it. I'm telling you as well, I'm going to read it. <laughs> when when we we'll all have time, when we get into our 80s. Yes, yes, exactly. At that point, it will be too late. That right. will be the new dilemma. <laughs> exactly. I'll no longer be innovating. The The next question is, when will we be net zero as a society? That, that, that's a deeper question, right? It's a, it's a good mm-hmm. question. Really great question. And everyone talks about 2040 to 2050. Yeah, that, that with that you know, uh, Paris Accord 2050 goal, um, I think some industries will make that target. I think some industries will hit it by 2035. Toyota wants to hit it by 2035. I, I don't know uh, if they will, but it's certainly they're certainly going hard after it. Um, but I think I think some countries and some organizations will struggle to meet that goal by 2060 or 2070. Um, you know, there, there are cer- certain countries out there that I just don't think they care to hit carbon zero, even if they say they do. I don't, I, I think they'll just greenwash whatever they want to greenwash. Yeah. Um, I think the U S has a very good shot at it, um, with or without subsidies. I, I, I fully believe that the oil and gas industry can embrace hydrogen as a, as an energy transition. It, it, I, I get the industry has always been risk averse. Um, but this is something that they can do. This is something that should be uh, right in their wheelhouse to um, to take on. And again, 
the U.S. innovates like no one else. So dropping the cost of uh, electrolyzers, we've we've already started on it. You know, the the exotic materials are getting uh, switched out for for day to day materials, dropping the cost even more mm-hmm. significantly. So I I think if the U.S. is serious about it, I think we can do it. Uh, if if not net zero, then very very close to it. Hmm. And I I like your point about the the oil and gas industry can embrace hydrogen because yeah. coming from the geothermal world, the subsurface side of of energy, mm-hmm. I I always point to all of the the obvious uh, overlap and crossovers of geothermal exploration and oil and gas exploration, but hydrogen is almost the top side equivalent of that where you're processing all of the all of the hydrocarbons now you can still do that and you're just getting a different end product right or a lot of the infrastructure very similar you just have to it's you're just processing processing things differently and and utilizing different resources and etc <laughs> yeah, so it's it's really it's really not that much of a of a shift when you really yeah. ultimately think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's real interesting. So the last question is do you have any question for me? Well, coming from the hydrogen side and with your background in geothermal, where do, where do you see these these two uh juggernauts of energy transition joining? Yeah, that is, that's a good question. And it is something that many people talk about. And I think the, to, to keep it quick, because I think we could, we could probably do a whole show talking about how and where and how and why geothermal and hydrogen should be, should be commingled. I think, but I think, I think the, the, the most obvious answer is stranded resources. Mm-hmm. The same way that we are trying to find a use for stranded oil and gas resources yeah. in something like Bitcoin mining, right? I think stranded geothermal is is a tougher challenge than than stranded gas because you have you can't really transport the heat itself. All you can do is produce electricity. Right. Electricity, you can't travel as well. Say if you're I, I guess a, a good example is is the the Caribbean and specifically there's a there's a project on the island of Nevis and they have estimated something on the order of twenty megawatts of I and don't quote me on that, even though this will be out there in the in the public. Right. It it's something on the order of ten to twenty megawatts of power potential. But this is a small island community that their current usage is, I think, on the order of two megawatts. Wow. So they don't need all of that resource, but they have it. And the question is, how do you turn this resource that is literally stuck on an island? How do you make a a product that you can now sell? And yeah. yeah, you could do Bitcoin mining or when this project started, which was 
maybe 10 years ago now when Bitcoin was was not on anybody's radar, mm-hmm. it you're you're really thinking about how do you turn this electricity into a movable product? And that could be that could be hydrogen. It could be. And yeah, that's a really good point too, right? Is is that um hydrogen is really changing the the geopolitics of energy. And mm-hmm. what you pointed out is one of the prime examples. You can have this small island, which, you know, I, I, I don't know this island from Adam, but they could become now an energy exporter when yep. they had, that was never on the radar. Yep. Yep, exactly. Well, Paul, thank you for joining me on the show today. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you would like to say? Uh, yeah. First, again, I really do appreciate you having me on your show. I've, I've enjoyed it immensely. I think I would just say that it, it's critical for people to realize that there is no one solution for the energy transition. Our issues won't get fixed by flicking a switch. You know, Based on the advancements in the hydrogen industry, as well as other leaders in the industry, uh, energy industry stepping up, I, I think we'll be in good shape. It's it's an all hands on deck uh, effort to make this work, and I do believe we'll get it figured out. Yep, I agree. I think that is a a good viewpoint and definitely a good reminder to everybody that that I I had a somebody put it the other put it to me this way that that all voices in the energy transition matter. And really, all voices matter. So yeah. the the idea of there is no one winner. There's not going to be a silver bullet. It is all of the above right. that is going to solve this energy transition conundrum. So thank you again, Paul, for joining me on this sh- episode. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. Please do me a favor. Give me a five-star rating and leave a review. Doing those two simple things will help these stories reach a wider audience. And if you want to hear more great stories and keep up to date with the energy industry, connect with OGGN on LinkedIn or visit OGGN.com. It's a new year and time for a new working scene. If you're in the Houston area, go try out the Canon. Mention OGGN and they will give you a free day pass. It's where I work when I'm in Houston, and it's also where we host our monthly OGGN happy hours. Oh, industry mixers. It's where we host our monthly OGGN industry mixers. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low-carbon, high-energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.